Good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you. I am so glad that you uh, were joining us this morning, whether you're joining us from home or whether you're joining us here in the audience. We are just so thankful that you are able to come and be with us this morning. Um, I, uh, my name is David Marshall. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am going to be speaking to you this morning uh, from the book of Acts. We're going to be getting back into our Acts series today, and I just want to um, let you know that the title of this sermon is called Excerpts from Ephesus, okay? So it's Excerpts from Ephesus, and I think that you'll get a picture of why, why I chose that, but uh, we'll, we're going to go through uh, the end of chapter 18 and the start of chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn, turn uh, to chapters basically 19, we're going to start just before that in 18, okay? Um, we're going to be talking this morning about the ministries of Apollos and Paul, mainly in the city of Ephesus. Uh, and we're going to be talking about a couple of famous stories, such as the, the uh, seven sons of Sceva and a, and a riot at the theater. So there's all kinds of things going on in Ephesus. Uh, and this is during the time that Paul is finishing up his second missionary journey uh, and beginning to start his third missionary journey. There is so much in this chapter that we're just not going to necessarily hit this morning. And I would encourage you to go back uh, sometime this week or when you have some time and just read through that and really just make, um, get some of the information out of there that, that you can of that. Again, that's why I titled this sermon Excerpts. We're going to just be touching on different ideas. I'm going to be pulling different ideas out of this passage. Uh, and I'm going to try to... Um, just touch on some of these things as we go through. So again, follow through with me as we go. We're, we're going to be pretty much hitting uh, all these different verses, but you know, we're going to be running kind of through this because it's a pretty large section of, of Scripture. And again, after I, I tell you some of my points, I think you're going to understand more fully as to why I call this message excerpts from Ephesus. Uh, we're going to pick back up this morning where we left off in Joe's message about two weeks ago at the end of chapter 18 in verse 24, okay? So Paul is finishing up his second missionary journey and traveling back to Antioch. He begins traveling with uh, Priscilla and Achaia, the two friends that he had met in Corinth. The three of them come to the city of Ephesus which will be the main setting for everything that we're talking about this morning. Ephesus was one of the richest cities during this period. It was a center of culture, a city of commerce, and it had some of the largest venues around, okay? It includes the amphitheater, which is, or the, the largest amphitheater, which is today one of the seven man-made wonders of the world. Well, it was at least the largest amphitheater during that time. Um, so before I get into the message, would you just join me real quick and let me, let me just pray uh, once again for this. So Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We just thank you for your word that you give us, and we just pray that you would help my words be your words, that you would open ears to hear what you would want to hear them, or them to hear, Father. I just pray that you be with each of us and help us to see your uh, plan for our lives and that you would help us to see you in these verses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so my first point for you this morning and that I would like us to consider is that we can be an expectant church. Being expectant means that we are hopeful for our future, right? Verses 19 to 21, and this is in chapter 18, okay? It says this, And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. We're talking about Paul here. When they asked him to stay for a little longer period, he declined, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. 
and he set sail from Ephesus. So again, Paul is finishing up his second missionary journey, and he's traveling back to Antioch. In the meantime, a young preacher by the name of Apollos comes to Ephesus. And verse 24 describes him as being eloquent and competent in the scriptures. Okay? Verse 25 tells us that he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So many scholars have different ideas of exactly what Apollos taught or, or may have known. However, we can conclude that his understanding of Jesus and the Holy Spirit was probably incomplete at first. This is why in verse 26, Priscilla and Achaia pulled him aside and said and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So Apollos likely knew about the, the death and the life of, of Jesus, uh, but he possibly didn't know about the, uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Matthew 1.11 tells us that John taught that the Messiah will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John proclaimed that the Messiah was coming. And now that he came, and now that the Messiah came, there was still an anticipation that there was much more to come as the Holy Spirit fills us with his power. John's disciples would have still been expecting this to come if they hadn't heard about it, uh, if they hadn't heard about Pentecost again yet. So there was an anticipation, an expectancy. In chapter 19, Paul is starting his third missionary journey, and he travels through Galatia and now comes back to Ephesus. We find throughout Acts the fulfillment of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we see examples of this happening and being fulfilled. And that's where we pick up here. In chapter 19, it says this, And it happened that while Paulus was at Corinth, actually, Paulus goes to Corinth for, or moves on to Corinth, and we're going to get back to Apollos here in a second, but um, Apollos goes on to Corinth, Paul comes back to Ephesus, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There are about 12 men in all. So Paul laid his hands on, him, on them. And by this time, I am sure that Paul had seen many miraculous things happen. And he is confident that Jesus will somehow move in the lives of these people. He may not know how or when, but he knows Jesus and expects Jesus to change lives. We can expect Jesus to change lives too. Jesus told his disciples to be expectant. Wade and I never talked. We haven't talked for, for many months now. Wade shared a, a verse this morning from John 14. I think it was 14 that he shared, but it was along these same lines. John 14, 26, Jesus was telling, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will send. We're expecting that. They were expecting that. The Bible tells us several times in Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter, 
of the Bible, it says, surely I am coming soon. Several times it says that. This gives us an expectation that one day Jesus will return and bring an end to the sin in this world, which, would, which should bring us hope in this world that we live in. We can expect the Lord's will to be done, which should give us a hope and boldness to declare his goodness to others. And we can expect that he will help us to explain these things to others. You can also expect the Lord to change you. To give you the power to overcome your shortcomings, maybe. To be used by him for his glory. So we can be an, ex an expectant church. And we can also be a church that explains who Jesus is. So my second point that I want to hit is we can be a church that explains who Jesus is. So at the end of chapter 18, um, Apollos, okay, decided to, again, we, we had mentioned that he went to Achaia, which is really where Corinth is, okay? The end of this chapter tells us that when he arrived there, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So Apollos went on to have a really strong ministry in Corinth, and he skillfully used the Old Testament to show that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Now, the Old Testament is full of scriptures pointing to a future Messiah. He, or he explained to them that the Messiah that they were expecting was Jesus. There are scriptures in the Old Testament that point to his birth. They, they point um, to the fact that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, that he would be mocked, that he would be pierced, and that he would be crucified with criminals. He may have pointed out some of the very words that Jesus spoke from Old Testament writings. He could have used scriptures like Isaiah 53, in verse 2, where it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Verse 5 of Isaiah 53 tells us, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. You know, this prophecy alone was was written 800 years before Jesus ever lived. And crucifixion wasn't even a method of, of killing people at the time. I'm sure that many of you are aware that there are over 300 prophecies that came true about Jesus. You know, and this, it really just blows my mind to think about this, okay? Um, you've probably heard about the mathematics of this before, but I want to just kind of remind us of again of these again, of the odds of this happening, okay? A mathematician once calculated the odds of just eight, only eight of these prophecies coming true, and it was one times ten to the 17th power. For those of you that like math, that would be ten quadrillion, okay? If you double that, to 16 prophecies, uh, prophecies, the odds become 1 times 10 to the 45th power. Or a, I don't even know how to pronounce this one, quarter, quarter decillion. <laughs> quarter decillion. You know, can you imagine how big this number would have to be for over 300 prophecies? I can't imagine. 
I think, again, for you math people, I think it would probably surpass duo tri gentillion. <laughs> All right which is a Google, I think, for those of you that really like math. Um, <laughs> I can't comprehend this in my mind, but what it does is it gives me confidence that when I'm sharing Jesus with others, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the way. When we are confident about something, we are much more bold in sharing and explaining what we believe. So we can be a church that explains Jesus. We can also be a church that exalts Jesus. Exalts Jesus. Let's go to verse 8 in chapter nine, uh, 19. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord both Jews and Greeks. Paul spoke to the Ephesians, the people of Ephesus, for two years. As far as we know, from, from what we read in, in Scripture and, and from what we know of his ministry, okay, he never denounced the temple. He never spoke a word against the religions of Ephesus. He never attacked the superstitions of the Greeks. He simply proclaimed the Christian faith with such conviction and power that it was instantly more appealing than the religions that they knew. He exalted Jesus Christ. When Christians declare the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit opens eyes and hearts of the people, and they begin to see that the false religion and false gods are meaningless by comparison. Verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them and the evil spirit that came out, and, and the evil spirits came out with them. Now, I can say some things about that, about people trying to sell handkerchiefs. I think we can all agree that um, we could talk about that another time, but uh, it's not something that we would see Jesus do um, today as far as selling stuff. So anyhow, then some of the itinerary, itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? The seven sons of Sceva were the sons of a Jewish high priest, and they recognized an opportunity to use this new religion, this Christianity, the name of Jesus, to advance their own cause. And notice that they say, whom Paul proclaims. They did not have a relationship with Jesus themselves. They didn't know Jesus Verse 16 goes on and says, And the man whom, in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and the Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was 
extolled. These guys were beat up pretty bad, and, and just like today, word travels fast, right? The story spread throughout Ephesus so that all the residents heard about it pretty quickly. The name of Jesus was extolled, which means to praise highly, to glorify or exalt. Verse 18, also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. One of the names that we, or one of the ways that we exalt the name of Jesus is by confessing our sins and acknowledging that we need a Savior. This is what the Ephesians were doing. They began to confess their sins and understand that Jesus was the Messiah, and it convicted them to clean up their lives, confess their hidden practices, and repent of them. As they sat under the teaching of the, uh, of the Apostle Paul, they learned about the kingdom of God. They began to see that cultism and astrology and other superstitious practices held them in bondage. Word of this started spreading as people began to share what they were learning, and this brought glory and honor to the name of Jesus, so that we soon learn that the name of Jesus is becoming even more well-known than the name of their idols. The name of Jesus was exalted. So I want to take a, just a, a quick sidestep here, take a minute to talk about the fact that these would have been brand new Christians, right? Now, I'm sure that they did not do everything perfectly, <laughs> And even when we have been Christians, for those of us who have been Christians for a while, for 30, 40 years, we still don't do things perfectly. It's important for us to have grace for those around us. If you think about it, most new Christians probably don't even realize at first that some of the things that they're doing are wrong. As they grow in their faith, and read God's word, as we all grow in our faith and read God's word, we begin to realize areas of our lives that are sinful. And the Holy Spirit convicts us and gives us the power to change these behaviors. Now hear me, because I'm not saying that we ignore sin. We are still called to accountability with each other, to sharpen one another. But we are to do this in humility and grace. Jesus encountered sinners every day, right? Think about his life. Do you ever think that Jesus was so shocked when he met somebody that he said, whoa, really? Did you really do that? He showed them love and what it meant to forgive sins. And he still corrected them with truth. He changed lives. People go out and tell others about what, uh, this when their lives are changed. The people of Ephesus went out and told others about it. Again, one way that we can exalt the name of Jesus is by sharing our testimony and how Jesus has changed our lives. It encourages others and brings glory to God when we share how God has tr transformed each of us. We can be a church that exalts the name of Jesus by living out Matthew 22, 37 and through, thir through 39 that says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
When we, put our, when we put aside our own desires and we try to follow God's scriptures, we are loving God with all of our hearts. And when we share God's love and forgiveness with others in grace and humility and care for them, we are loving our neighbor. This isn't always easy, right? We need to pray that the Lord will give us the power to do these things and that we can bring glory to him and exalt his name. We can be a church that exalts his name. And we can be a church that extinguishes. All right, so the wives just elbowed their husbands saying, did he just say extinguishes? (laughs) And the husbands probably just looked back and said, uh, you know, I was starting to fall asleep. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, <laughs> so do I have your attention again? <laughs> All right. Yes, I did say the word extinguishes. All right. I realize that I have some explaining to do with this word. Uh, and I have to admit that I was having a little bit of a hard time coming up with a word that, that started with E-X, okay, that expresses the point. But I think that this is a great word for us to think about this morning, all right? This word came to me while reading Paul's letter to the Ephesians, okay? It it comes to us from the letter Ephesians, from the book Ephesians. Paul wrote this letter later in his life to these very same people that he is with right now. When he wrote this letter, I'm sure that he was probably thinking about the challenges that he faced in Ephesus with idolatry. So we're going to look at the well-known passage of Ephesians 6, okay, where it tells us to put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You know, we don't have time to go through all of these because uh, all of the, the pieces of armor because that is a whole sermon series in itself. But I do want to point out verse 16 We're going to talk about one of these pieces, and it says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. When you think of flaming darts, you probably get an image, uh, you know, you see in the movies of these ancient wars where these archers are shooting arrows up into the air and, and they're beginning to fall down. Uh, you know, they light them on fire and they're beginning to fall down on their opponents or opposition. The Roman shield was specifically designed to withstand this assault, okay? They were lined with leather and they were usually soaked in water before battle and they were perfectly suited for this to extinguish these arrows. The shield is also the only defensive piece of armor which can also protect other people. You know, ancient soldiers would typically, you know, form a line and they would lock these shields together. And so this meant that each man protected himself and it also protected others beside him that were standing with him, with his shield. So Paul encouraged the Ephesians to take up the shield of faith. When we are in community with other believers, we can work together in faith to extinguish the arrows of the evil one, which makes the entire church safer and stronger. What are some of those flaming darts? Their discouragement, loneliness, hatred, impure thoughts, an unhealthy fear, dissension, envy, greed, pride. I think you get the point. Many of these stem from a fallen world and sin in our lives and sin in the lives of others. We are called to take up our shield of faith. What is faith? It is trust in Jesus Christ 
for the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus tells us that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Again, his letter to the Ephesians also includes these verses in chapter 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved through faith. Faith gives us the power and strength to walk through trials that we face in life and gives us protection from those arrows. God does not promise us an easy life, but he does promise us that we can trust in him through it all, and one day we will be with him. When we put our trust in Jesus, he brings us peace. Isaiah 26, 3-4 says this, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Psalm 91, 1 through 5 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God and whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Our sufficiency is not in ourselves, but in God. Even when all hope is gone, and it seems that we have nothing left, God is able to protect and renew and bring us to life. He is the one who defeated sin and death. And he gives us faith in all circumstances. When we have faith and trust in Jesus, we begin to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Satan no longer discourages and divides us. We can be a church of hope and of love and of unity, a church that extinguishes. We can also be a church that expels. <laughs> I'm sure that I need to explain this one too. <laughs> right? uh, let's read the passage first, and then I'm going to get to get to this point. And this one, this passage is a little bit longer, so so please try to follow along in your Bibles and, and follow along with me. Uh, as, I, as I read through this. It says this. Um, we are starting in verse 21, okay? Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who had made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with, the hands, with hands are not gods. And there's danger not only in this trade of ours may come into dispute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. She whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged, crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, 
Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul was to go in, in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is a temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the, from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious, sacrilegious or blasphemers of our goddess. If, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. Are we really, uh, we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Okay. So let's get to the reason why I chose the word expel. Okay. You see, God created us to love and worship him. Unfortunately, like the people of Ephesus in this, in this chapter here, we want to hold on tight to our idols. And sometimes we become angry when they're taken away from us. The people of Ephesus were about to become violent and practically started a riot in order to hold on to their idols. You know, God, spent, God sent Paul to Ephesus, this great cultural city, to confront and expel the idols in the lives of these people. God wants to expel the idols in your lives, too. Take a minute to think about the idols in your life. It could be your job, money, friends, time, sports, love, lust, power, some sort of cause you feel strongly about, friends, status, or even your reputation, to name a few. Whatever it was that just popped into your mind, do you ever get angry when it's taken away or when you can't have it? We don't like to give up our idols. In fact, most of the time, we even sacrifice to our idols. We give them time. We give them money. We give them energy. We give them our resources. We sometimes even sacrifice relationships for them. We defend our Artemis, and our lives scream, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Matthew Henry has a quote that says this, If we desire to be earnest in the great work of salvation, every pursuit and enjoyment must be given up, which hinders the effect of the gospel upon the mind or loosens its hold upon the heart. This is where repentance comes in. When we expose the idols in our lives, for what they are, sin, we begin to have a sorrow for it. And we must make the decision to turn from those idols. 
through the help of the Holy Spirit, we begin to understand that it's wrong. And we desire to get it out of our lives. And through God's help, we begin to follow how he would want us to live. Isaiah 55, 6 through 7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. We can be a church that is expectant, that exalts, that extinguishes, and expels. I want to close this morning by telling you a story. Max Licato tells the story in his book, No Wonder They Call Him Savior. The small house was simple, but adequate. It, considered one of the, it consisted of one large room on a dusty street. Its red-tiled roof was one of many in this poor neighborhood on the outskirts of a Brazilian village. It was a comfortable home. Maria and her daughter Christina had done what they could to add color to the gray walls and warmth to the hard dirt floor. An old calendar, a faded photograph of a relative, a wooden cross. The furnishings, the furnishings were modest. A pallet bed on either side of the room for, for their beds. A wash basin and a wood-burning stove. Maria's husband had died when Christina was an infant. The young mother, refusing opportunities to remarry, got a job and went out to raise her young daughter. And now, 15 years later, the worst years were over. Though Maria's salary as a maid offered few luxuries, it was reliable and it did provide food and clothes. And now Christina was old enough to get a job to help out. She dreamed of trading her dusty neighborhood for exciting avenues and city life. Maria was always quick to remind Christina of the hardships of the streets. People don't know you there. Jobs are scarce, and life is cruel. And besides, if you went there, what would you do for a living? Maria knew that Christina might have, uh, what might Christina might have to do for a living. That's why her heart broke when she awoke one morning to find her daughter's bed empty. Maria knew immediately where her daughter had gone. She quickly threw some clothes in a bag and gathered up all her money and ran out of the house. On her way to the bus, uh, on the way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money, and she also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. And knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, she went to all of them, and at each place left her picture taped to a hotel bulletin board. The corner of a window or a phone booth. And on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both money and the pictures ran out, and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept in the bus as she uh, boarded the bus and began the long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended some hotel stairs. Her face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth and spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dreams had become a nightmare. She longed to trade these countless beds with her, with beds for her secure pallet. 
yet the little village was in too many ways too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed a small photo. Written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. There's another picture that I want to remind you of this morning. It's a picture of Jesus with his arms outstretched to you. And he's inviting you to come home. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The scripture is not just calling out to those of you who are weary from work and busyness, but those of you who are weary from sin. No matter what you have done, no matter what you have become, Jesus invites you to come home. If you are here this morning or are watching from home, and you feel the Lord speaking to you, and you want to respond to the Lord calling for you to come home, I would encourage you to seek out a pastor, seek out a friend, and let them know that you want to talk. I encourage you to reach out today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with each and every person listening to this message this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear you calling us to you. Whether this is the first time we've seen you or whether we've been walking with you for many years, Lord, I just pray that we would be drawn to you. That when we look at that picture of you on the cross and all that you have accomplished for us there, that you would draw us to you, Lord. That you would help us to see your love. And I pray, Father, that we would put our faith in you. I pray that we would put our trust in you. And that you would help us in all of our circumstances, Lord. That you would help us to rid, the, uh, rid our lives of any idols that we may be holding on tight to. I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill us and that you would bring us hope and that you would just give us faith to trust in you. We thank you, Lord, and we just ask that your name would be exalted, that it would be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everyone, again, for being here. Kay, I believe, is going to be giving some announcements, so if you want to hold on just for a second, and he'll be doing that for you. Thank you, David. What a powerful message. And uh, I just want to welcome everyone this morning whether you're here in person or watching online on the live stream. We're, we're so glad that you're here, and you're so glad that you're watching with us. And if you're here, you can, there, there should be some Connect cards. Oh, maybe we're not doing that. Uh, online, you can get on our website and fill out a Connect card on our services and meetings page. So we'd like for you to do that so we can get in touch with you, or if you have some prayer requests or anything like that to share, please do that. As far as giving, we will not be taking up a collection today with baskets as we would pre-pandemic, right? Is that a, is that a thing? Um, <laughs> instead, there's boxes in the back. You can put your money in there. You can give online. You can mail us a check on, on the uh, SGC website. There's a real nice way 
to uh, give there. So thank you for doing that. Also, SG, SG Connect Online will be this Wednesday at 7 p.m. on our YouTube channel. And Joe will be speaking about how this summer that you can grow spiritually and prosper. And it's going to be from Psalms chapter 1. So if you could read that beforehand, that would be helpful. Excuse me. Also, we'll be doing our equip classes again this summer. Those will begin on July 8th on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. I believe we have six, I think, scheduled weeks. The classes will be here, and they will also be live streamed. So if you, you want to watch at home on YouTube, and we encourage you to bring, as we did last year, we have a lot of picnic tables out here. Six o'clock, you can come, bring a picnic lunch, and we can have some fellowship, and then seven o'clock is the meeting. I want to be clear, there will be no child care uh, for those services. You're more than welcome to bring your children, but there'll be no one here to care for them except for uh, what, what you can do and some help that we can give you, so... Just want to be real clear on that. No child care for those. Also, a young adult campfire will be held on Friday, June 26th at 6 p.m. at Tim and Donna McKelvey's house. For directions and more information, check with Ben and Jan Murphy. And if you're able, bring a snack uh, to share with everyone. Also, Transform Youth Ministry will be meeting here at the church this Saturday at 6 p.m., and transform students. These are uh, high school, junior high, high school students are welcome and their parents as well. And so we'll have worship, teaching, and some games. And so we hope to see you there. And uh, I just pray that uh, I just am mindful that uh, Jesus, when he finished his work, he sat down at, at the right hand of the Father and he entered that rest, just as David said. By his sacrifice, we all have access to that same rest. In this time of great unrest, Jesus wants you to enter into his rest. Thank you, and have a great day.